definitely see most of our growth just coming from people who use Ren, referring their friends or talking with people about it. It's something that they're excited about and want to share with the world. Um, and we'll continue to build easier and easier ways for people to bring up climate change as a conversation too. I think sometimes it's intimidating if Ren can make that a little bit easier and in the process, get more people offsetting carbon. That's awesome. That's our goal. Hey everybody, just a quick note before we get into the episode. My volume is a little bit low in the intro because I had my four-month-old son on my lap when we were recording. Such is the world of work at home. All right, here's our episode with Landon. Cheers. Welcome back to another episode of Who's Saving the Planet. We have on board Jess Miles. I'm very excited for this episode. Jess Miles excited and our co-pilot here, Baby Rye. Who says hello? Mm. All right. <laughs> we had on this on this show, we had a conversation with Landon Brand, the CEO and co-founder of Project Ren. Jess, what was your favorite thing about this conversation? I think getting to walk through the difference between um, removals and offsets for people because it's such a technical term that a lot of people don't know about it um and getting to sort of i'm a carbon removal nerd but i'm a a baby nerd (laughs) and so getting to sort of um flex my knowledge on that (laughs) was exciting for me what does being a baby nerd have to do with carbon removal I understand there's a baby right here, <laughs> but I mean, like, I am just at the beginning of understanding carbon removal. So there's a lot that I don't know yet, but getting to talk to somebody who's already in that space and ask them questions was exciting for me. So it was a really interesting conversation with somebody who is at the forefront of introducing an easier way for us regular folk to understand our impact on the environment through the amount of carbon that we use from things like driving cars, eating different types of food, flying planes, so that we can help participate in a better future for, that's right, for babies everywhere, which is why Rye was so helpful in that conversation. So it was an awesome time. And Jess, you were so good on it. I'm so excited to be able to share the conversation with all of our Who Saving the Planet listeners. Me too. All right, well, here we go. This is Jess Miles and Lexi Faber and Baby Rye about to introduce you to Landon Brand, the CEO of Project Ren. Also, just Ren. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Who is Saving the Planet? Jess Miles in the co pilot seat. Welcome aboard, Jess. Hi, I'm really excited about this episode. I'm very passionate about the topic. I know you just said you're a carbon baby and that's going to make so much more sense in like five minutes or less, which brings us to Landon. Landon, welcome aboard. Thanks so much for having me. I think it's going to be a ton of fun. So much fun. So first of all, tell us a little bit about Ren. What is this company that, that you have co-founded? Yeah, so I'm Landon. I'm building Ren. Um, Ren is basically a website where you can calculate your carbon footprint and then fund projects that are planting trees, protecting rainforest, or otherwise basically offsetting those emissions so that you can live 
carbon neutral. Um, we try and make it super easy, hold your hand through the process. Um, we started it basically because we saw that it was very difficult to make a first step that felt meaningful when it came to addressing the climate crisis. So we figured let's make that meaningful first step and keep making it easier for people to take action. Yeah, so is it it's something that's like a co-pilot that sits with me wherever I go and they say, all right, every time I do something in terms of a carbon expenditure, it sort of ticks up. And then- Like a really obnoxious Siri or GPS. <laughs> Well, we, so we try and make it almost the opposite, like really not obnoxious, ideally, right? <laughs> um, so our approach is to make it super easy to calculate your carbon footprint. You just answer in like a few questions about how much you're driving, how much you're flying, what's your diet like, like some of those big high impact parts of your lifestyle. Then we spit out an estimation of what your carbon footprint is. Um, and then from there, you can update it as much or as little as you want. I think there's there's some people who want to update it, you know, every few months as their life changes. And there's others who they just want to set it for like a year and kind of forget about it for a little bit. Um, maybe they decide the couple actions that they want to take that year, like what are their intentions around reducing their carbon footprint or otherwise taking action to help end the climate crisis. And then they can stick with that and reevaluate a little bit further down the line. So we try and make it really easy and friendly and, and supportive. I think it's easy to get in the into a realm of doom and gloom when it comes to the climate crisis. So we try and make it very approachable. I, I kind of wanted to touch on this a little bit for listeners, the difference between uh, carbon offsets, because my understanding is that it's sort of an umbrella term and there's three different ways that you can, or that is categorized and it's removals, avoidances, and reductions. Is there like a specific type of offset that REN focuses on? Yeah, this is a great question. It's like when you say that planting these trees or protecting this rainforest is going to offset my carbon footprint, what actually happens to, to do that? So here's the way that we think about it. Most of our projects are carbon removal projects. Definitely not all, but just over half of the portfolio right now. Um, so planting trees, for instance, you're putting a seed in the ground, that seed eventually becomes a large tree, mostly made of carbon. So you've really, you've literally sucked carbon out of the atmosphere into that tree and it's stored in that tree. Until that tree gets cut down or dies or burned or something like that, the carbon is stored there. Um, so we call that carbon removal. And then there's also a lot more ways to remove carbon than just planting trees. Like for instance, you see people now creating these machines that literally suck carbon out of the sky and turn it into rock through chemical processes happening in that machine, um, which is amazing, super, super cool. That's also carbon removal. And then you have solutions that are like building up carbon stored in soil. So I don't know if a lot of people know this, but actually a lot of soil is made of carbon. So it's like rocks, which are inorganic material, and then a lot of carbon, which is actually from organic material. Um, so like mycelia from fungus or roots from plants, um, all this stuff can often decay and then is stored in the soil. And that's good and healthy soil. And we can actually remove carbon from the atmosphere by changing how we farm. So it's building soil that's higher and higher in carbon. For Wren in particular, when it comes to carbon removal, we're more so on the tree planting side because that's fairly cheap. Um, 
like compared to machines sucking carbon out of the sky, super cheap compared to that right now. Hopefully that changes. Um, hopefully machines get better and more efficient. But for now, we're, we're planting trees. Um, there's a few other, another interesting technique that I find fascinating is turning what we call biomass. So basically plant matter like wood from trees or leaves can be considered biomass as well. We take some of that biomass, turn it into biochar, which is basically like charcoal. And then we can store that in soil for a really long amount of time. So it's not like a tree where the tree might burn and get lost. Biochar will stick around in the soil for a super long time. So we've only talked about carbon removal in, in that full, I don't know how long I was talking for, but it felt like a good, a, a <laughs> thorough review of carbon removal, but there's also other ways we can offset carbon. So for avoiding carbon emissions, like protecting rainforest, that's a super important solution to the climate crisis. If we lose all of our rainforest right now, that's gonna really set us back in trying to curb emissions. Um, Cause you can imagine all the carbon that was stored in those trees is now in the atmosphere. So we have to figure out that, that avoidance part as well. Like how do we avoid deforestation? But that's a bit trickier when it comes to carbon offsets, because if you pay someone to not chop down trees, like how do you know that the trees were going to get chopped down in the first place? And at REN, when it comes to those avoided deforestation projects, we spend a lot of time thinking about, is this project actually additional? Like what would have happened if we weren't paying them? Um, why do they need the funding? Lots of questions like that. Um, and for, for reduction projects, it can be similar too. Like already we're seeing a lot of renewable energy projects that are very cost competitive, just a great profitable investment for investors to make. Um, they don't really need carbon offset funding even though it is reducing emissions. So that's kind of like a super brief um, dive through a few different carbon offset techniques and yeah. a little no, bit of perspective I, for them. I think you touched on a lot of really great things here. And I don't think we probably have time to get into it, but I would be curious your opinion on um, like direct air capture using machines versus more natural solutions like regenerative agriculture and things like that, just because I know um, <laughs> it's a, uh, people have opinions on it. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's a great question. It's like in the short term, tree planting is going to be way cheaper than running these machines, but you know, maybe 30 years from now, like what if renewable energy is super duper cheap? So the energy cost is nothing. And what if we've made, you know, a thousand of these really big factories to suck carbon out of the sky? Maybe at that point, it is super cheap to just run these machines. And that's a really promising goal to work toward. Um, sure. So you can almost think about it like a whole of solutions to the climate crisis. And we wanna be funding each one, like kind of diversifying our assets here, diversifying our solutions. So we aren't putting all of our eggs in one basket. We aren't saying if we don't get carbon removal tech, if sorry, if we don't get direct air capture machines, then there's no way we end the climate crisis. But also we wanna be pushing that forward in case it does become a low cost solution in the future. Cause right now, you know, we're not spending billions and billions of dollars on that. We're you know, and it's in the tens of millions range and we're figuring out um, citation needed on that fact. I think it might, I think recently <laughs> there might've been something that was a few billion dollars into it. It's so close though. It's a very well, small fraction well, of like our, the overall budget. Um, 
And I think yeah. a lot of people also sort of how you mentioned putting all your eggs in one basket, uh, people make the moral hazard argument when it comes to like direct air catcher, capture. Um, Tell me Jess, exactly. what is the moral hazard argument? <laughs> the idea is that nobody learns anything because, and nobody changes their behaviors because why would I stop driving my fossil fuel burning car when someone can suck it out of the air and just completely negate the impact, which I don't know, I have thoughts on, but I like Klaus Lochner, full disclosure. So. <laughs> For those of you playing along at home, I'm sure Klaus Faulkner will make it into the show notes if you want to dig down on that Wikipedia journey. Um, okay, but there's something that you said that I think is really important. Well, first of all, that's what REN does, right? It, it provides a way to, to fund these projects from people saying, here's my carbon output, I'm going to pay you money to take that money and go do these things or to go fund these projects, like you said, diversifying assets that will help us keep the future a little bit more sustainable to, to avoid some of the most climactic elements of climate change. But there's yeah. something that happened that people couldn't see because this is a podcast. And that is that when you said certain words, Jess's face just lit up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> when you were like biomass, like it's something just like that just did it for you, Jess. No, well, and okay. Listen, first of all, I, I'm kind of like a geek about these things, but I'm also a baby geek. And so the fact he was saying words I recognized. Hey, was I think it's very great. exciting to me. I think it's great. And th this is sort of what my, what this is, it's leading to a question, I promise. And that question is like, how do you, how do you take something which can be kind of dry, like algebra to figure out a number to then take money to spend it on something that we know is good, but it kind of feels removed from us and instill that sense of joy, that sense of delight that'll make people feel like they're really connected to it. Yeah, that's that's the trick, right? I, that's where the design and marketing angle kind of come into it. Like when I say we're gonna take biomass, do pyrolysis on that and store that underneath the earth, like. Maybe that doesn't really mean anything to anyone, but if I say we but can to convert... Jess, it's like she just reached into an old pocket and found twenty dollar bills in a jacket she didn't wear since last winter. And so, like, how do you make everyone like Jess? <laughs> right. Well, yeah, we might on Ren when we're describing that biochar process, we might say you can take trees and prevent the carbon from leaving those trees by just burning them a little bit and burying that underground and that also makes the the crops grow faster if you're doing it on farmland and there can be there can be an exciting aspect to it and I think what makes it even more exciting is when we start to share a lot more details of the project like who are the people who are doing this what is their story like where is this happening is it in my own backyard that that might make it a lot more exciting for people and make it really resonate um, one of our recent sort of like pie in the sky, ideas is if we can have anyone supporting one of these projects go and actually visit it meet the people on the oh, ground wow. who are doing the work and see basically what they're making happen in the world because when you when you develop that sort of in-person connection it just feels much more human you're much more attached to that solution excited about pushing it through rather than some abstract number that is like how bad the climate crisis is or how good this solution that you don't fully understand is. I, I just want to touch incarnate. on um, your projects a little bit because you brought up planting trees. 
a bunch. Um, and I know you have a regenerative forest project um, in Scotland. Obviously, I could be not understanding correctly, but doesn't it take trees like a certain number of years to reach maturity before they can actually really start uh, sucking carbon and sequestering it in the soil? So isn't there sort of like a time delay between when it actually goes into effect? Really great question. Yeah, there's a big time delay. You can imagine you plant a tree like the first few years. I mean, when you first plant, it's like tiny. It's like a few inches tall. And then over time, um, over time, they become quite big and store a lot of carbon. But because of that time delay, the way on REN it works is when you're in generally in carbon offsets, when you're talking about one ton of CO2 offset or removed, you're talking, we always talk about a removal or an offset that has happened or is happening in the next 12 months. We try and scope it to be really immediate. We're not predicting the far, far future where, you know, the climate is changing. Maybe the trees will grow differently in the future. Um, so we talk about what's happening today. Um, another advantage of this is there's a certain like time value to how much carbon is in the atmosphere. Like we want to immediately reduce the atmospheric CO2 because that CO2 is causing warming today. So these projects we're funding, we're basically selling the CO2 that they're removing in the near term. And in the longer term, they'll continue to remove more and more CO2. And that, that incentivizes them to like keep those trees in the ground, keep selling that CO2. But yeah, it's, it's definitely a long process. And that's part of why it's important to act really urgently on this is because trees are a really low cost solution, but also there's a long, there's a fairly long time delay here. So we should move forward as quickly as possible, but it's, it's definitely a time delay that is reasonable with the climate crisis. Like over the next 30 years, these trees will grow a huge amount. So what you're saying is baby group, not so good, large group, <laughs> very good for the galaxy. Exactly. And I mean, Ideally, every baby Groot is going to turn into a large Groot over the next 20, 30 years. <laughs> it takes a few years for trees to really get started, but then once they get going, they start removing just a good amount of CO2, um, and you can kind of manage the forest sustainably so that you maximize how much CO2 that forest is pulling out of the air. Well, I noticed that all of your projects are based in uh, less industrialized countries, with the exception of Scotland, and I know that it's pretty well known at this point that less industrialized countries aren't responsible for the situation we're in, but then they face disproportionate impacts of a warmer planet. Um, and so I was wondering, my concern is that it feels a little bit like the less industrialized countries that you're, these projects are happening in are shouldering the burden of trying to get us out of the climate crisis when it's not really their fault in the first place. And I'm wondering if you're planning on starting projects in like America or other industrialized nations too in the future. Yeah, for sure. I think it, so it might feel a little bit like we're pushing this problem away from maybe it's the geographies that kind of cause this problem. But let me tell you about our, our community tree planting project in East Africa um, actually benefits the subsistence farmers there by paying them for growing trees on their land. So in a way it's actually improving quality of life um, for folks in these more impacted areas of, by the climate crisis. 
And I, I think all other things being equal at REN, like we really want projects that are that have other benefits too. Like it's great if for the same cost, for the same risk profile, we can be making it like having these huge economic benefits in these areas that are actually on the front lines of climate change that have already faced land degradation and changes in weather and patterns that are very consequential if you're a subsistence farmer. And I would add to that too, we probably will add a lot more projects all over the world. Um, I think these were just a few great ones to start with and we focus on quality over quantity, but hopefully we can do both quality and quantity in just a few years. I like you're that. Gonna yeah, you're going to need more people to come on board to continue to fund more projects, right? And, you know, I, I've got such a dry lens of looking through these things of like the stodgy, I'm like the stodgy old guy in the conversation where I'm like, what what does your PNL look like? But like, what the business model, I presume you take some percentage, some sort of cut of like of moving the money into these projects, which is great. But how do you how do you keep filling the funnel? How do you keep finding people that want to do to want to be part of this community that want to be part of this, this altruistic vehicle that you're building? Yeah, that's a great question. So just to touch on the business model first, yeah, we take a 20% fee right now on offsets through REN. Um, and that fee goes toward paying our team, but also to paying our marketing budget. So the way we think about it, when it comes to the climate crisis, it's really about speed and urgency. Like this isn't ev like every day, there are more and more emissions in the atmosphere. We have to urgently work towards solving it. So it makes sense to spend a reasonable percentage of our total funding on marketing. And that's part of why we take a fee because if that fee can then bring on five more people to offset their own carbon footprint, remove more carbon from the atmosphere, um, that's great. That's that's absolutely worth the money. Um, and then more on the other ways to grow side for us. We definitely see most of our growth just coming from people who use REN, referring their friends or talking with people about it. It's something that they're excited about and wanna share with the world. Um, and we'll continue to build easier and easier ways for people to share REN and for people to just generally bring out, bring up, bring up climate change as a conversation too. I think. Sometimes it's intimidating, but it's a topic we need to talk more and more about in our daily lives. So if, if REN can make that a little bit easier and in the process, get more people offsetting carbon, that's awesome. That's our goal. I think not only is it intimidating, it also is depressing. And so to have, to bring it to people's dinner tables in a way where they can say, hey, guess what I did today? You know, I offset X number of tons of CO2, I think is really exciting. Well, just out of curiosity, what's the average cost for a person to offset their CO2? Yeah, on average, uh, for, for our users, it's about $20 per month. Um, it varies a lot depending on your carbon footprint. So if you're flying across the country like 10 times a year, that's going to be a bit bigger of a carbon footprint. Might be more in the you know 30 to 50 bucks range per month. Um, how much does or, a flight cost on average in terms of carbon? If you were, if, well, for, what's the, I guess the other huge question is what is, what is the metric you're using for the price of a ton of carbon? Yeah, both great questions. So a flight, obviously that varies on how long the flight yeah, is. Of if course, yeah. <laughs> right. If it's a short If you're going flight, to Singapore versus if you're going to Detroit, right, for sure. But let's say you're going from New York to LA. 
yeah, for that sort of flight, you're in the realm of about one ton of CO2 emissions. Um, and at REN, the projects that we're working with have a range of sort of costs per ton of CO2 removed or prevented. Um, that range is from about around $10 on the lower end to more like $30 on the higher end. There's, since there's different benefits to the projects, and like I was saying earlier, we, we have this sort of portfolio approach of wanting to support many solutions, not just put our eggs in one basket here. Um, we have a few different costs per ton, but yeah, on average, you're talking about $15 or so per ton of CO2 removed or prevented. So, you know, what's great about this is that if you, if you read the economic, the prevailing economic literature of the day is that the price per carbon needs to, that's what I do. I wake up in the morning and I say, tell me about the prevailing economic literature today. Well, you mentioned earlier that you feel like an old man and that's like the most old manny way to say that, I feel like. I, since having a child, my old manny way of saying things has like proliferated in, in ways I did not. I literally say, <laughs> I said like, who dang it the other day, Just <laughs> How like in conversation. But um, carb the price for carbon's got to go up. The it, carbon's got to be more expensive. And as carbon gets more expensive, it gets more expensive to offset it, which means it's going to be harder to attract people on because they're going to have to pay more. And so people don't like paying for things and ever, but you're going to make more money from the people that do because it costs more to offset it. So it's sort of like baking in the price of inflation to this business model when it comes to carbon, which I think is kind of nifty. Yeah, Nifty. Exactly. again, old man word right here, <laughs> there for you. And it's super interesting too, because you can think about how, well, maybe 20 years from now, hopefully we've planted trees everywhere we can possibly plant trees on this earth. Um, but also maybe 20, and so the cost of tree planting, that might be just, might not make sense. But hopefully also we'll see some of those more advanced technologies come way down in cost by then. And we can start deploying that like crazy and maybe even if we if we play our cards right, if we get a bit lucky with some of these technologies, maybe it won't cost too much more to remove that carbon. So we we think a lot about the cost of things if you were to bake in the cost of carbon. At least I think a lot mm -hmm. about that. So for instance, if you go to a fast fashion place and you buy a pair of jeans for 40 bucks, if you were to actually think about the cost that those jeans have on the environment they should maybe cost $140, considering all the water that was used, the three pairs that got thrown away. And so what, what this is doing is, is hopefully making people think a little bit more about the cost of things as it pertains to the future. It's giving us this other lens to look through when we're considering our consumerism. Exactly. It's, it's almost like an opt-in carbon tax in a way. You're like internalizing this negative externality, if you want to put it in economics terms. So very rarely, I think in, in most economic theory, an opt-in tax is a poor strategy. <laughs> it's a so, poor strategy. So, but how, what, what are you, what are you offering to people? I don't know how to say this. The delight of feeling like you've done good is awesome, but there's only so many people that will value that above the financial pain of separating them from money. All right, Jess is saying like, that's crazy, but it's true. It's true. It's hard to get people to do 
good things for collective benefit. It always has been, right? There's sure. always been this tragedy of the commons problem where it's like, if we all sacrificed a little, we'd be better. And we're like, nope, nope, I'm going to make someone else sacrifice. I'm good. So how do you, how are you going to tackle that like inherent human self-sabotage as a species to like self-actualize as a person mentality? Yeah, great question. First, just to be clear, I am, we 100% need policy solutions to this global tragedy, the commons problem of the climate crisis. Um, we're just in a weird spot now where the time delay that governments have on actually implementing these really effective solutions is long enough where we wanna be doing everything we can in the meantime still. Um, but in, in terms of what we're really offering someone who's joining Ren, it's the feeling of having impact. Like everyone wants to feel like they've done something good, like they're being altruistic, like they've helped another person. And I think one reason you don't, people don't feel that way with taxes is you put money that goes to the government and you have no, you don't understand what's happening with that money. It feels like it goes into a black hole and you get this whole, like you get people saying trickle down economics, like this money that I'm sending is just going to a black hole. Um, but on REN, what we do is we show you every month what impact you're having. So we show you the stories, the people whose lives you're affecting. We show you how much carbon you've actually sequestered or reduced. We show you the, the photographic proof of that. Um, and that, that makes people feel good. So that's maybe a, a key difference between REN and just being this arbitrary opt-in tax. I will also say one thing I did like, uh, especially, I like all of it, but one thing I especially liked um, was you have a leaderboard and you can see uh, like who is setting off X number of tons of carbon and can kind of like compete um, and also virtue signal to others, like how good of a person you are. Um, Wait, wouldn't so I have to be burning the most carbon to be winning on the leaderboard? So you can offset however much carbon you want. Most people, it's around, on average, it's they offset 100% of their carbon footprint. But some people, they'll just go in and say, I'm just going to do four times my carbon footprint. Um, so it is, it's not just people with the biggest carbon footprint. We have leaderboards, too, for who has the smallest carbon footprint. Um, but yeah, like I, I think like Jess, you're kind of alluding to is that we just want to make it feel fun and impactful. And I think that's how we get people to take action here. Yeah, I like that. I'm and such also, a stodgy old man. I'm such, <laughs> I've, I feel that I see myself in this Zoom call with my mustache dancing around, which is a new thing. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, just in my head, I'm like, people aren't, altruism is not a survival strategy. But like, you know what? Screw that. Screw, screw us old stodgy folks. Maybe there is, there's enough people that are going to be willing to opt in on this because of that sense that dopamine of feeling like, yeah, you know, I'm part of something bigger than me. Okay. First of all, two things. I think your mustache is lovely, Lex. Oh, that's second thing. Second thing. I think it's very important to distinguish between pre-COVID and in COVID um, during the pandemic, because I think you are on to something where we are now, where people's uh, wallets are very tight and they just don't have the mental capacity to like think about something like this um, if they don't already have the disposable cash. But I would argue outside of a pandemic and recession situation, you gotta believe in the good in people, man. Like, come on. 
Yeah, it's yeah. true. And I think with, with any sustainable products, like you see people paying more for the sustainable version really often. And that's because they want to feel like they're having an impact. They want to do right by the planet and there are others around them and every future generation on earth. And so it's, it's a sense of altruism, but I think it's almost like there's something about human nature where we do prefer to be altruistic rather than just no one wants to feel selfish. Yeah. See, Tell that to the 1980s. That was another old man joke. Sorry, that was, everyone's like, I don't, I don't care to do that. No, thank you. I will pass. All right. So then let's take this, then let's look into that future, that more optimistic future where, where this is, what's, what does the future hold in store for rent? How are you guys going to build and develop and expand this platform? Yeah. So far we focus very much on being a good first step or you know, maybe someone who's recycling or doing a couple of kind of eco-friendly things will sign up for REN as like their, their next step. And, and hopefully from there, start learning more. Um, we give you suggestions on how to reduce your carbon footprint. We have content that might help you make sense of what else you can do on the climate crisis. Um, but mostly we focus on being that really easy first step. I think we can make that experience even better, reach way more people, um, do stuff like that. But also I think we wanna expand what we can get people to do. So it's great for people to offset their carbon footprint. It's great for people to reduce it a little bit too. Um, but there's a, lot, there's a lot more people can do still. It's like, we can be pushing for a systemic change here. Like can, can Ren make everyone a little bit more of an activist here? Can that push political change to happen faster as well? Um, so the offsetting your carbon footprint is almost just the first step and maybe a key part of the business model that helps us get people to take more and more action here. Can I ask a question? Um, you addressed this in your um, regenerative forestry project, but how do you prevent um, the double counting of credits just in general across all your projects for the offsets? Yeah, that's great. I understand it, that it's a problem. Super great question. Yeah. Um, so there's this idea that if you're growing a tree and you're, you're selling that carbon offset, like what if you sell that carbon offset to two people? That would be like lying and you wouldn't be selling a full ton of carbon to anyone then. Huge problem. So <laughs> what we have to do is basically have a transparent public place that says, this is the carbon that came from this tree and it goes we're awarding it to Ren, or we're awarding it to this person on Ren. You kind of need to have that clear ledger of who gets to claim the carbon um, that's being sequestered by a project. And I think that's that's a historic problem with carbon offsets. That is why Ren takes maybe a little bit of a different approach here and focuses a lot more on transparency than some other more traditional carbon offset mar markets uh, do. Um, can I ask a, a dumb question? Why is it, why are you called Ren? Is it like a canary? I was gonna ask that question. I feel I don't think that's a dumb question. I think that's Beat a great question. <laughs> you know, the most honest answer to that question is we thought it was a cute little bird and we wanted like a naturey name and it just felt it felt right for us. My co-founder Mimi drew that little bird. Um, and it just it was cute. It feels like it's something, you know, birds are one sort of example of something that we love about the world around us and a lot of species of wren are threatened by the climate crisis and it's a little reminder of what we want to save here. Um, 
course, climate crisis is going to affect more than just birds. Like, hum it's affecting humans already in major ways. Um, ask anyone in California who was there when the sky was red. Oh my gosh, um, yeah. Many millions of people around the planet now have been affected by natural disasters. But yeah, mostly it was a cute name and we liked it. I think that's adorable. I think, yes, that is fantastic. And um, where can we, where can our audience go to find you, Landon? Yeah, we're at ren.co. Um, check us out. We're also on Instagram and Twitter if you're into that. Um, yeah, and feel free also to email me if you have any feedback or questions where we like to be building with the community here. You can reach us at team at projectren.com. I dig it. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much for coming on today, Landon, and telling us about your story and everything that you're building. Really appreciate you giving the time and congrats. Sounds like you guys have made a ton of progress. Can't wait to see where this goes. Yeah. Awesome. You're Thanks probably so the much. coolest dude I've ever met. So <laughs> you can take that. Wow. Okay. Thanks so much for having me on. This is a lot of fun. So much fun. And stay in touch. Let us know as things develop. We always love sharing good news with our community and we'd love to support you however we can. Sounds awesome. All right, bud. Cheers. <laughs>